Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. When I think of what you mentioned um, previously, I think of, you know, that's very much diversity, whether it's diversity of backgrounds, diversity of thought, diversity of age groups, diversity of experience, all those kinds of things come together. And I think that that really is part of what culture is, right? So culture, in my mind, is really like our day-to-day interactions, our behaviors, how we treat each other. You know, it's not like, oh, we have to be sitting in the same office every day. It's not uh, foosball tables. Like, to me, that's not culture at all. Those are cosmetic things that are nice. Um, and they may even be kind of themes of the organization. But I think the culture is really like that intangible, ethereal kind of thing that actually happens every day. How do we interact? And I think that everything that we spoke about earlier when it comes to the levels of diversity, the different um, spectrums, is that you bring that to the culture. So when you think about a culture, I feel like it's very much an amalgamation or like a melting pot in some ways of all those great diverse um, aspects of ourselves and facets and differences, and then it comes together. And then on top of that, it's not just together, but it's how does that interact together? Tonil has spent the past 15 years of her career as an executive consultant and researcher advising and partnering with leaders to drive the optimal performance of their organizations through culture, people strategy, change management, employee experience and engagement, leadership and organizational development, and strategic communications. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking Nature podcast. I am very, very excited to be speaking today with Tonil from New York. How are you, Tonil? I'm good, Enrique. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's, it's great to be chatting with you. Very excited about our conversation around all things culture, employee experience, and especially because I am really interested in sort of picking your brain. I, somebody said recently, it's not picking your brain, it's asking for your expertise about Ooh. yeah i know it's fancy Ooh. right um, <laughs> i feel like an expert <laughs> i know it's, it's fun uh, asking for your expertise in all things that are at the intersection of culture employee experience but also this multi-generational workforce that we see all together working together in the same workplace at the same time so let's just let's just start from there when, when you think about culture in the context of people from different ages different needs different motivations, different upbringings. How does culture kind of fits into that, uh, into that environment, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, when I think of what you mentioned um, previously, I think of, you know, that's very much diversity, whether it's diversity of backgrounds, diversity of thought, diversity of age groups, diversity of experience, all those kinds of things come together. And I think that that really is part of what culture is, right? So culture, in my mind, is really like our day-to-day interactions, our behaviors, how we treat each other. You know, it's not like, oh, we have to be sitting in the same office every day. It's not uh, foosball tables. Like, to me, that's not culture at all. Those are cosmetic things that are nice. Um, and they may 
even be kind of themes of the organization, but I think the culture is really like that intangible, ethereal kind of thing that actually happens every day. How do we interact? And I think that everything that we spoke about earlier when it comes to the levels of diversity, the different um, spectrums, is that you bring that to the culture. So when you think about a culture, I feel like it's very much an amalgamation or like a melting pot in some ways of all those great diverse um, aspects of ourselves and facets and differences, and then it comes together. And then on top of that, it's not just together, but it's how does that interact together? So do you think about that almost like, I don't want to give the example of like a stew or a soup or something you're making, but you're putting all these great different ingredients together and how are they going to interact today? And then maybe a, a year from now, the culture has shifted a bit because of this or that reason or new people are coming or going. And so it's always going to be different. So I always think that culture is always morphing, always evolving based on all kinds of different factors. Absolutely. And I have interviewed a, a number of people around the topic of culture and it seem, there seems to be an agreement that sort of the simplest definition of culture is how people work. And you said it yourself mm -hmm. before, it's how people interact, how they work, what they're doing in the, in the workplace. But when you think about how we have created these this generational barriers, you know, like baby boomers behave this way, Gen X guys are in the middle of everything and they don't, they don't opine, you know, they don't have a, an opinion on anything that is going on between baby boomers and millennials. And now the new mm -hmm. generation of, of uh, you know, the Gen Z, the younger generation now entering into the workforce. So there's this, we, we have been creating this barrier that seems to separate people in the workplace instead of finding the many commonalities that exist among them, because mm -hmm. there are many things that, that among generations we, we can agree on. So how, how can we create, uh, I don't wanna say a, a one size fits all kind of solution, but more mm -hmm. seamlessly approach to thinking about culture, knowing that you have people that think differently, whether they are in different generations or even in the same generation. It's such a great question. And obviously people have been struggling with this forever. I mean, really, it's not just a millennial problem. It's been happening forever. I mean, I wasn't alive back, you know, 50 or 60 or 80 years ago, but I can imagine there was the similar conversation where it's like, oh, those kids today just don't get it. And like, oh, those old people don't get it. So I'm assuming that was always there. I do think it's obviously a little different today just for just because our world is different with tech and with social media and just the way that everything is more personalized. I know that there's different nuances about the generations today, but to address your question I think unfortunately I think sometimes human nature is to separate not separate but kind of like um, you know put people in categories and boxes and that can be in any category we don't have to go into details on that but like I think part of human nature is that just to understand like how do I categorize this person how do I understand them and it's easier if you can put them in kind of a rubric like they're over here they're over here whatever so I think that that's kind of why some of that happens um, but I think that to kind of mitigate that and get around that I think culture can play the biggest part culture and leaders I mean so if you have leaders of an organization and the culture is very much one of inclusion diversity psychological safety um, connectedness and really seeing the focusing more on the similarities we have or the certain things we have in common I think that that is a drastically different culture than the one that is the former one Right. So I think it's literally just a matter of being intentional about it um, and saying we are that culture. I mean, I actually am advising an organization right now where they have 
probably the best culture I've ever seen in my life. And I say that very, I mean, I don't say that lightly, right? I've obviously studied this and worked in cultures and done all this, this culture work my whole career. And I actually feel like this is probably the poster child um, from any organization I've ever seen so far who just gets it right. And granted, they're small, but it's very much like every single call, every single everything. The people that work in the organization are very different from each other on a lot of levels. But it's interesting because I don't ever see people kind of calling out those differences unless it's to say, oh, that's a really cool hobby you have. I didn't know how to do that, or that's very different than what I've done, but let me learn about that. So I think that's the other part too, is just being curious. And so that's whether it's at work or life in general, I think if you have the curiosity hat on and you want to learn and understand about other people, I think that kind of gets over, gets around kind of compartmentalizing people in different boxes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest, you know, one, one, thing, one thing that was brought up to the workplace massively with the with the millennial generation is this idea that you know benefits and compensation for example look different for everybody right i mean there are different things that motivate different people and and we need to embrace a more flexible approach when we were designing something as transactional as as compensation and benefits but when you when you talk to people that are in the baby boomer generation and they see what the millennial generation ask, is asking for, they think to themselves mm -hmm. like, I want some of that too. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't wanna come to the office every day wearing a tie yeah. uh, or like, you know, pants or something. You know, I wanna come with blue yeah. jeans or, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. oversimplifying what I'm saying about culture, right? But mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's this idea that at the end of the day, even if, this, if these things didn't exist or weren't common, for the previous generation, when you see the next generation doing those things, you think like, wow, that's pretty cool. I want some of mm -hmm. that for myself. So I think there's way more, there are many more commonalities across generations that allow us to bring a, a cohesive culture, a culture that works for everybody and not just one that is designed either for the baby boomer or the millennials or the Gen Zs. Yeah, no, and it's funny that you say that because I think that's the nuance that a lot of people miss because people are always focused like the articles and the different press about this. It's always like, what's different about each group? And these guys think these guys are crazy. It's always like pitting people against each other. But to your point, I've seen much more of that where it's like, well, I don't want that either. And I want what those guys are saying. And it's almost like I feel like previous generations are kind of, I don't want to say they're jealous, but it's almost like they want everything the millennials and Gen Z want too. They just didn't say it and they didn't yeah. feel they could say it probably because that brings us back to workplaces that were designed a hundred years ago where the norm was you are a cog in the machine, your butt's in the chair, that's it. And now it's obviously very different. Thank God for millennials. Like, I yeah. think that's a wonderful thing. And I think that the older generations are secretly wishing that they were younger in these days to experience yeah, absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's a fascinating thing to see that unleashing of of, of a new way of working, whether it was, mm -hmm. you know, promoted by millennials or it started with the Gen X and, and now it's been fully embraced by Gen Z. I think the fact mm -hmm. that we can have a culture that works for everybody and brings flexibility for everybody. Yeah, there will be people that they think, you know, I got to go to the office at 8 a.m. and leave at 5 p.m. I got to come with a suit and a tie all the time. That's totally mm -hmm. fine. But I think those are the outliers. Most people probably mm -hmm. want something different. Uh, so to me, like well, and especially not to bring COVID into this, but I mean, th that really, I think that's accelerated that, right? So to your yeah. point, even before COVID, I think that that was the case. And now it's like, yeah, I don't want to wear pants to work or <laughs> not really pants, but you know what I mean? It's kind of like, I like wearing my jammies on the bottom all day. So I think yeah. they're totally getting it now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that there's, there's, there's research that is showing that people are getting more productive. They are saving time in their mm -hmm. commutes. Yes, they are working more because it's, you know, it's tempting mm -hmm. to have the computer in there 
And some people think like, well, you know, instead of watching TV, I'm just going to get into the computer to see if there's something going on at work. Yeah. We got to find the ways to, to manage that. But more, more often than not, the cases that I've heard throughout this, this experience of people working from home is the, the fact that people are spending more time with family, spending more time outdoor, mm-hmm. having more time to have more meaningful conversations because now they have to be very effective in the Zoom uh, environment or yeah. in the online environment. So I think out of all this horrifying COVID experience, I think that's, that's definitely a gift out of this, uh, out of this tragedy, if, you, if, you, if we can call it that way. Definitely. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of writing during COVID just because we have more time and you have more to say because it's an interesting topic. And I kind of feel like a lot of the themes that I keep hitting on is like, you know, it's obviously we didn't ask for it. We didn't want it. It's been a suboptimal way to get there, but it's progressed us in a lot of ways, not just technologically and, you know, new innovation and business models, which we're going to be seeing come out very soon if they haven't, but even just making us more human. Like you see your CEO on a call with the dog and the kid in the background. I mean, we never had that before. Or you see like the different Zoom backgrounds or you hear, you know, it's just, it's much more personal and we needed to get there for a long time. So. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I love that. You know, I love that people can show their, their humanity, their full selves, you know, their family mm-hmm. selves to, to the world. Yeah. Because, you know, very often you find you know, and tying this back to the idea of culture, you find, you, you look at the, at the leaders of a company, and you think that, well, these people must be, they, they probably don't have families or they don't have any things to, anything to worry about, or they don't have any yeah. things to, to be concerned about. And in reality, when you have a, this, when you have this window into their homes, into their lives, you're thinking mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, Tonil, you know, she's got a cat and she's got a dog and the dog yeah. is barking back there. <laughs> and, you know, she's, you know, dealing with this, dealing with that. And to me, that is, is positive, you know, that we are able to bring that humanity out of us humans. <laughs> yep, agreed. So let me ask you, let me ask you this question. Uh, talking about employee experience, and I'm switching gears, very related to culture, but switching gears a little bit towards employee experience. What do you think are the most important elements of learning through this COVID-19 crisis that are helping us build better employee experience and hopefully they will stick around going forward? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I've thought a lot about this and I think besides what we just mentioned about the whole human aspect, I think the other couple other big things are um, flexibility. I mean, I just candidly, I've been able to work in pretty much predominantly remote roles with travel over the past decade. And so this is not new to me. And so I'm kind of like, finally, we understand how productive if it's done optimally. And as I mentioned earlier, it's not optimal, the situation, because right now we're not working from home. We're working from home in a pandemic while we're homeschooling kids and we're, you know, dealing with all kinds of other very stressful things. And so what I would say is for people to understand that like in an ideal situation, which is what this would be when we're not in COVID, you would have the technology, the infrastructure, the culture, the norms, the processes, et cetera, in place to where you can figure it out. You know, like you realize maybe you do your head down focused work much better at home. And then maybe you want to go to the office for meetings and collaboration and celebrations and networking and things like that. So I think that first of all, just getting, getting in tune with that flexibility and understanding that it is totally possible to be working from home and especially once you get under ideal circumstances um so i think that piece i think the human piece um and then kind of along with that i mean one of the other big things that kind of plays with that is the whole accountability piece 
and a lot of organizations, I feel like it's kind of lazy management is what I'll call it in the sense of they feel like you're only working or being effective or productive if your butt's in that chair for 12 hours a day versus, I mean, the point is you're probably on Facebook half the time anyways and online shopping, but you're in the, you're in the office though. And you had to commute two hours each way. You know what I mean? So the, the whole burden is on the employee and it's kind of like when you work from home or you can work for wherever you want, as long as the metrics are super clear, the um, accountability and like, you know, basically what you need to get done and within when, who cares when and how, like, who cares when you do it? If you, maybe you work better at two in the morning, who cares? Not a big deal. As long as you kind of have those discussions and you have the open communication, the clarity around it, I think that's something we're starting to see more of. And we really need to see more of that. Um, yeah, I think those are kind of some of the bigger pieces that I've really been focusing on that I think COVID is going to bring that out in us going forward. Absolutely. And I, I, I particularly like two of the of the of the new things that you that you mentioned which are which are accountability and flexibility and mm -hmm. they will they they were important before they will become of course way more mm -hmm. important because one of the things that I I don't think too many people are talking about this yet but we may start talking about it soon is the tension that we're going to see between trying to go back to the old and embracing the things that we've learned and move forward to the new. Some companies mm -hmm. will try to force their people to come back to the office, even when they yeah. know that their people were effective working from home. So there's gonna be that tension yeah. in there. And in leadership styles, you know, some leaders who had to let go of their micromanaging style mm -hmm. because they can't really micromanage people anymore. They don't have that ability on the, in the online kind of uh, approach they will want to go back to the old ways because it's what feels comfortable and it's what's familiar mm -hmm. to them. So how do you think we're going to be able to manage this tension that's going to exist between going back to the old, which I'm hoping that we don't, and, and embracing all the lessons learned and really propel ourselves forward into the future? Yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, if you can imagine, as of today when we're recording this, I already know several organizations that their people are already being expected back in the office. And that really, number one, it's just, I don't think it's necessarily safe. I'm not saying it's unsafe, but I don't think it necessarily is safe enough to demand that, number one, especially right now. Um, and number two, to your point, the whole micromanager thing and all that stuff needed to go away anyways. And so right now we get, we've gotten a taste of, Hey, we can do it. We can totally do it, especially even under this circumstance. So when this isn't going on, it's going to be amazing productivity. Um, I think to address that it's difficult. I think it's going to take, unfortunately, it's probably going to take bigger trends in society. So for example, you know, when Google and Facebook and different organizations are like, Hey, we're going remote completely, or we're doing, you know, optional It's totally up to you to come in and when you want to come in and whatever. I think it's literally going to take some of those like um, trendsetters and thought leaders to really just come out and say it over and over. And the good part, good or bad, is that it's a talent market. It will be again. It was before COVID. It will be again. And talent is not going to put up with that. I mean, I've seen so many articles written about this that people would rather take a pay cut of like almost 50% if they can have flexibility, if they can live anywhere, if they can have more meaning in their work, like all kinds of little things that cost the company nothing, they would take a pay cut. So I think that it's going to take a lot of organizations doing that for the rest of them to come along and realize it's important. And those who don't are going to be left behind is what I think. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I want to add one, one thing to that, that I know you, you, you always do in your work, which is connecting this with the science of, of what it means for the business, mm -hmm. right? And I think this is a great opportunity for HR leaders to say, wait a second, for six, seven or eight months, our people, 60, 70% of our workforce was working from home. Look at what happened with our finances. Even though yeah. we were going through all that 
pain, painful situation of COVID-19. We increased productivity, our performance was higher. People were saving on average one hour and a half, two hours of commute every day. Mm -hmm. We saved these X amounts of dollar in paying for air conditioning or heat mm -hmm. in, the, in the office. Yep. If we were able to reduce our office space, we may be able to save you know, $5 million a year or whatever it is. So if you're able to connect what's human about all the new things that we're doing with the science and the, and the, and the business finances and the business goals, I think we have a great triangle in there of things that can create a great business case to not go back to the, to the, to the old that we had before. You're so right. And I love that you brought that up because again, I, I totally agree with the touchy feely. We like the human, we like the meaning. We know these things intuitively are good, but to your point, unless it's tied to the ROI, the business case and the data, companies aren't going to listen. And I totally understand that. And I, I've seen that a lot in my work over the years. I mean, we've gradually kind of started moving towards smaller, at least in these large cities like New York, smaller real estate footprints. And for better or worse, it's like the money. I mean, I've seen the data, the money that's saved is insane. And think about the environment too, if you really want to, you know, get that in there. It's like, there's so many different positives, but to your point, like I just, I mean, everyone always asks, like, do we think that work, um, workplaces are going to go away? I don't think they're going away. I do think that they're going to be different. And you and I both have probably listened to all the, the articles and the podcasts and the trends and that it's like, they're not going to go away, but the space will change. It may be smaller. It may stay the same size, but it's essentially going to probably be a lot about collaboration and meetings and celebrations. And then, like we said, that heads, heads down uh, intensive work is probably going to be done elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, of course, connects to this idea of making work work. And what I mean by that is if you, if you need to have a meeting where you're going to have a hackathon or a collaboration session with peers uh, in your company from other, from other departments, you may want to be in the office, right? Because nothing mm -hmm. I think replaces at the end of the day that face-to-face -face kind of, you know, uh, human touch, if you will. But if all you need to do for an entire day is pick up the phone, phone calls and be on the computer responding emails and talking to customers, yeah. where the hell are you going to be in the office? Why are you going to be sitting in there being uncomfortable, having to spend two, three hours in the commute, especially in New York City, by the way, yeah. um, you know, I, you know, w wasting energy, polluting the environment, um, you know, spending more money. I, I just think that none of these things make sense. They, they didn't make sense before is that mm -hmm. we didn't have a wake up call as, as, as strong and, and painful as COVID. And now, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, of course, we take this as an advantage to say this works you know, we can continue doing this going forward. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I'm oh, sorry, I was going to say one more thing I'd even add on to that is um, my, my, one of my very first jobs was as a researcher for like an employee uh, productivity and well-being and, and that type of thing and wellness organization. And we, I was a researcher, so we were like crunching the data all day long. And so another thing I would add on top of that is like when you're in a, in a company, you're sitting all day, like you said, your commute, your stress levels go up, you're sitting, which is worse than cancer and smoking, we know at this point. Um, you're probably eating junk food. You're probably eating your, you know, shoveling your lunch in your mouth at your desk while you're working all these things granted there are good social benefits there's that social interaction that is very good for you but everything else about commuting and sitting in a workplace all day long is really bad for your health too because you're not getting out and walking around versus at home i mean you can go for your like I, I lunch a lot of the time i'll take a call while i'm going for a walk like you could just you can make it build it into your life which is better for your body as well absolutely and and once again this is a call to action for hr people find the ways to connect the science and the data that tells you that people are effective, productive, and delivering high performance and being healthier when they can work from home. Because this also reflects back to the cost of healthcare in the companies. I mean, it's exactly. a simple study. If you can find a yep. way to connect these dots, 
you are going to be able to create a powerful business case for the company to say, all right, you know, let's find a more flexible approach. We don't, we don't have to be fully remote. We don't have to be full in the office, but we can find an approach that truly works for, for the company. I know of some people that they tell me, I, I like to work in the office. I don't like to work from home. That's okay for you. I know some of the people I'm, who say, you know what? I like to work from home. I, I just hate the commute. That, you know, why can't we create something that works for both? And the reality is that now we can make it happen. And we already have the case of, uh, of, of testing that this, that this could work. Of course, there's, there's a big element in your, in your work that ties sort of around all of this conversation that we've had, which is change and change management and transformation. Mm -hmm. This will require, uh, it already required a lot of change management at the beginning of the pandemic here in the United States, at the beginning of March. And it will require a lot of change management going forward, helping business leaders see things differently, helping the workforce behave or embrace different skills and capabilities mm -hmm. to operate in a different environment. What, how can we do this effectively? How can we manage this amount of change effectively? It's a great question. And it's funny because usually in any change situation, you don't have the forced, unfreezing, Free, you know what I mean? Like you don't have that. If you think of like change models, this unfreezing free, you know, that sort of thing. We had that like overnight. It was like, nope, that's it. So on a good note, that constraint made us have to change. We couldn't not change our behavior. We couldn't do all that like resisting and I don't want to do it. We couldn't do it because we just couldn't do it. And so the beauty is what I would say right now, I love that you asked this question because this is really the opportunity for HR and the organization in general, because now that we're starting to open up and we're starting to kind of get further on this path, we're already gonna, we're gonna start refreezing again. So we're gonna need to make sure whatever behaviors are gonna really be frozen in time right now are the ones we want and like the work styles and the light and then the um, organization styles, flexibility, all that. So I would say right now, if H, I mean, it's already too late almost, but HR really needs to get behind that and proactively say, here's the deal. I know you don't want to do this going back. I know you wanna go back to exactly how things are, but they have to really, like you said, build the business case, build that vision. And what are all those benefits that we're talking about of actually having some of these uh, pieces incorporated going forward and then build out what that would look like and share that with leaders and like you said bring in the data how much money are we going to save how much health are we going to save? like all these things I would start doing that now if you haven't already as an HR practitioner and making sure that that's crystal clear and articulated and then to your point the change activities themselves they should start happening like yeah. now, once you sell leaders on it, you get them aligned around that. You have to really start building that. Like, hey guys, you know, we don't, because again, the hard part is we aren't 100% sure when it'll be safe, but we do know that at some point it will be. So we need to start communicating that this is our plan once we have a vaccine. This is our plan. You know, this is what we're going to do once this happens. And just kind of, you know, obviously be flexible and agile because we'll have to be that way because we don't have all the answers and that's fine. But just start um, setting expectations with people of like what we're going to do. And again, that starts at the very top because leaders have to be bought in first. Yeah. Yeah. And I connect that with this idea of HR helping people and the organization become more resilient because one thing that you mm -hmm. and I were chatting about offline is that we know that we have probably not seen the worst yet. And, mm -hmm. you know, there in most, most pandemics coming in waves and people said, you know, we already, we, we already went through the second wave in the United States. I don't think that's, that's true. I think a lot of people say, you know, mm -hmm. winter, the fall and the winter will be really, really difficult in the United States. So HR has to have the ability to say, you know what, we don't know if this is going to happen, but it's better to be prepared if, for, yeah. for a new, 
for that new wave to come to to us, right? And and if we brought people yeah. to work to to work from the office again, we need to have a plan in place for them to go back to work from home. Uh, exactly. If happens. So so Tonil, as we this has been a great conversation, and as <laughs> we wrap up this this uh, our our chat, I want to ask you a couple of questions to to finalize our conversation. One of them is, if you were to provide, if you were to give HR leaders and practitioners one starting point for their journey of preparation, transformation, to create a better culture for the times of chaos that may be you know, ahead of us. What would that starting point look like for you? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I have one piece, but I'll give you a couple things that could be that starting point. I think number one, um, as we mentioned earlier, you have to really Gosh, this is a really good question. I'm trying to narrow it down in my brain. Um, I think for sure you need to really figure out like what your ideal scenario, what would that ideal future state look like? Like what do you as a practitioner really, really want it to look like based on the data, based on all the things you're seeing, the trends and what works, what doesn't, the feedback you've heard from people up till now, all those data points. And then craft that very articulate, concise vision for leaders that focuses on what that is, why and the benefits of doing that again bringing in the business case the ROI all that great stuff and then from there really just getting them on board finding a way to sell it to them in their language because once you do that once you get leaders on board and everything's very clear then the rest I don't want to say it's easy but it's easy because the heavy lifting is always on the front end and then once you do that and you do the work and like how do we get our people behind it and whatever like that's that's usually easier because especially if you co-create with them again incorporating their feedback and all that along the way then nothing's a shock nothing's being done to people Things are being done with people and that makes them much more committed to the change absolutely love love that recommendation great and powerful starting point for in in this journey my last question to you is what are you the most excited and the most concerned about the future is this a covid specific question or just in general in general, in general. <laughs> Although i think COVID uh, has already <laughs> reframed our future for a long time <laughs> so i'm most excited about you know honestly Again, I'm not a Pollyanna, but like I know there's been a lot of, and I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the terrible aspects of this situation, COVID, the racial unrest, all these things that are happening right now. I don't want to downplay that. But what I would say is, if you're asking what I'm excited about, it is the fact that, again, as you mentioned earlier, there's been amazing innovation, business model changes, and granted, there's a lot of negative things, right? Companies are going out of business, people are losing their jobs. I get it. But if you're just focusing on the positive, there's a lot of amazing stuff that's going to come out of this and is coming out of this on so many levels and so many industries and I'm excited about that I'm excited about the future of work and the things we talked about today and how work will hopefully change and get better because my whole like purpose is really trying to make work better for people you know and on so many levels and so I see that this is really a springboard opportunity right now we're in the messy middle right now it's not pretty it's ugly it's horrible but it's going to be amazing I think once we get to the other side of this and we start incorporating the lessons learned um the worrisome part I think just probably what most people are worrying about right now is, you know, number one with COVID and all the other things happening, I'm worried about that. But I'm, I'm, when it comes to the world of work, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to try to go back to the way things were, like you said. And I just, I don't think that's the right answer. I, I don't at all. So, so hopefully that, you know, we'll be wearing our, our thinking caps and we'll really be harnessing the positive things that are coming out of this and moving forward with them and moving into a, a new normal, a new, um, better world based on what we've learned, essentially. Absolutely. I, I share the uh, hope and of course, they share the uh, the concern as well. So hopefully, we're going to be 
creating a much better uh, workspace, workplace for, for everybody. So, Johnny, thank you so much for being with me today. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next Hacking HR podcast. I'll see you soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.